This is episode 97 of Teacher Approved. You're listening to Teacher Approved, the podcast helping educators elevate what matters and simplify the rest. I'm Heidi. And I'm Emily. We're the creators behind Second Story Window, where we give research-based and teacher-approved strategies that make teaching less stressful and more effective. You can check out the show notes and resources from each episode at secondstorywindow.net. We're so glad you're tuning in today. Let's get to the show. Hey there, thanks for joining us today. In today's episode, we're sharing three secrets for seating arrangement success and a teacher-approved tip for making rearranging desks much easier. We start our episodes with a morning message just like we used to do at morning meeting in our classrooms. This week's morning message is, which do you prefer for student seating, tables or desks, and why? We have some thoughtful responses to share from our community. Stephanie said, I love my tables, but if I didn't have large cubbies for each kid, probably not. Yeah, the storage there is the real issue. It really is. Sherry said, desks, I frequently rearrange to accommodate behaviors and purpose of lessons. Colleen said, tables, desks are like bumper cars, and the last desks I had were lift top, so kids were always in them when they shouldn't be or forgetting to clear the top before opening. Oh, no. no. I didn't know this was even a thing anymore. <laughs> I know. I just seen that in movies from like the 1800s. I would also hate my desks if they were lift top. <laughs> Lauren said, tables, desks shift around too much. I'm also not a stickler for assigned seats, so I like that their stuff isn't at a desk. Easier to move around. Ginny said, desks, so I can arrange and rearrange as needed. That's why I like desks, too. Yep. So much more flexibility. Leah said, for me, it depends on the grade. In kindergarten, we use tables. In later grades, when students have more supplies, I like desks. Yeah, I think kindergartners at desks does seem a little bit crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Lisa said, I have a combination of both this year as I couldn't decide. It's a new thing that I'm trying. That's cool. Be interested to hear how that goes. We'd love to have you join the conversation over in our teacher approved Facebook group. We are quickly approaching our 100th episode. (laughs) Back when we started, it did not seem possible that we could ever get to 100. I couldn't even wrap my mind around that. And now we're here. So to celebrate our 100th episode, we would love to have 100 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. So if you think we deserve five stars, would you mind taking a few seconds and leaving us a rating? And if you really enjoy this podcast, would you mind leaving us a review? We'd love to get to 50 reviews before our 100th episode. We really appreciate everyone who has already taken the time to post such kind feedback. We read every comment, and it really motivates us to keep doing our best for this amazing group of teachers. Today, we're going to talk about one of your greatest classroom management tools. And no, it is not stickers or class parties. It is your seating arrangement. (laughs) As a teacher, it's easy to notice when your seating arrangement becomes a problem. You've got these kids that just won't stop talking to each other. So you switch everybody around to try and keep your talkers separated. And that may work. Or you may find that you've created new sources of trouble. But what if we had a strategic system for minimizing problems, no matter the seating arrangement? If that sounds useful to you, you're in luck. Today we're sharing all of our strategic seating secrets. And when we say 
all of our secrets. We mean three secrets because that we only have three secrets. <laughs> but I think they're good secrets. Okay, so let's start by taking a look at secret number one. And that is your priorities for your class determine the effectiveness of your seating arrangement. Tell us more about that, Heidi. Well, before you can know how to arrange your seats, you have to know the benefits and limitations of whatever kind of seating you have. What you can do with desks is different from what you can do with rectangle tables. And what you can do with rectangle tables is different from what you can do with those weird triangle table desk thingies that (laughs) seem to be in all the new schools. There are seriously some oddly shaped seating options (laughs) these days. And I wish schools would just like talk to teachers before you buy all these seating options. (laughs) But when I was a new teacher, I used to bemoan the lack of tables in my classroom. Oh, me too. I was like, oh, if only I had tables. I know. <laughs> and I just being stuck with these dumb old desks when everyone knew that tables were the way of the future. But after I had taught a few years, I really began to love those dumb old desks because they gave me options. Yes, that is really such a good point because if you have tables, you only have tables. But if you have desks, you have tables, rows, you have isolated islands of independent learning because it's May and you cannot handle one more kid off task. So, you know, you've got options if you have (laughs) desks. Right. So if I'm a teacher that prioritizes group work, I want a seating arrangement that supports that. So I might arrange my desks and tables. But when the chatting is getting too much to handle, I can still support group work by arranging desks in small rows of like three to minimize the chatting, but the kids can still collaborate in that arrangement. If you have tables, you can still make similar adjustments to your seating to support your priorities, of course, but you might have to get creative. And if you are looking for creative seating arrangement ideas, we have a new tool to help you. Our digital seating arrangement planner can help you find a seating arrangement that supports your priorities. It has over 80 suggested seating arrangements for desks, rectangle tables, trapezoid tables, and those weird triangle tables. Plus, we include the pros and cons for each suggested arrangement. That way, you can easily identify which arrangement supports group discussion or minimize chatting, or maximize the number of students facing forward because you have a class that gets easily distracted. We also include details about which seating arrangements are likely to shift out of place easily. It's so tiring to have to nudge desks back in line 20 times a day. Yep. But sometimes it's worth it to have an arrangement like that if it keeps those little darlings from chatting nonstop. (laughs) Gotta pick your poison here. This digital tool can also help you implement The second secret of seating success, which is proximity to the teacher is the number one way to keep kids on task. And really, we cannot overemphasize the importance of this tip. It's probably the golden rule of behavior management. I learned about this from the book Tools for Teaching, where the author Fred Jones refers to three zones of proximity. The first zone is the green zone. This is the area around the teacher, and it stretches two, maybe three desks away. In the green zone, kids are getting their work done. They're not bothering their neighbors. They're not digging around in their desks. Because you are right there, those kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, if only we could fit the whole (laughs) class in the green zone. Oh, that would be nice. (laughs) But next comes the yellow zone. These kids are three to four, maybe five desks away from the teacher. They are also doing what they're supposed to be doing, 
assuming the teacher is facing them. But there's no telling what they might be getting up to behind your back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) And then any student five or more desks away from the teacher is in the red zone. Your motivated kids will be fine here. Your less motivated kids are going to struggle. And when they struggle, they are likely to cause those around them to struggle too. So if we want a successful seating arrangement, the goal is to maximize the number of kids in the green zone and minimize the amount of time any kid is spending in the yellow and red zones. And we can do that two ways. First, we arrange the room so that we keep as many kids as close to the teacher as possible. And second, we arrange the room so that we can reach any desk in the minimum number of steps so we can get to those little hot spots as quick as we need to. If you have your desks in the traditional classroom arrangement of long rows with each desk separate, like the seating arrangement you'd find in a college classroom, you have a long walk to get from the desks at the front of the room to the desks at the back. And while you're back there, all those kids at the front have now moved from the green to the red zone. It kind of creates a system of behavior problem whack-a-mole. You move to one area to deal with a problem and another problem pops up somewhere else. So we really want to look for seating arrangements that maximize that green zone. In order to do that, you need to know which parts of your room are most often in the green zone. Right. So if you teach from the front of the room, the first couple rows of seats will be in the green zone during lessons. If you teach from your desk because you're using the computer... The seats nearest your desk are in the green zone for lessons. This is important to pay attention to because you want to seat your most challenging students where they can spend as much time as possible in that close to the teacher green zone. So let's say I chose a seating arrangement where my desks are grouped in tables of five. That was my favorite arrangement for second grade. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Because I tend to teach from the front of the room, I'm going to put three tables at the front and then two tables at the back of the room. So during lessons, the 15 kids at the front will be in the green zone. But I also spend a lot of time at my back table. So during work time or small group time, my 10 kids at the back of the room are now closer to the green zone. To help keep track of which desks are best suited for our most challenging kids, we're going to rank each desk as a one, two, or three. The desks that are most often in the green zone of proximity get marked one. These are the desks maybe closest to the front of the room. Or they're closest to my computer or reading table because those are two other places that I spend a lot of time, which means that they are more often in the green zone. If one seat is in the green zone, it's likely the seat next to it is also in the green zone. But you want to avoid labeling both desks as a one. We want our seating arrangement to minimize problems. And if you end up seating two ones next to each other, even if they're right next to you, you're going to create headaches. So if I have a table of five desks, The top right corner might be a one seat, and the back left corner might be a one seat. Or maybe that fifth desk at the end of the table could be a perfect one seat. It's a fine line to walk. You want the one seats clustered near the teacher, but not clustered near each other. And then once you have labeled all of your one seats, it's time for the twos. Two seats are in those spots that are near the teacher, but they maybe don't need constant monitoring. You can put a two seat next to a one seat if you need to, but only do it if you have to. And then all the seats that are left are labeled three. So I used to do this in a Word document. I just drew squares on the page and then arranged them to match my seating arrangement. And then I would just label each square as a one, two, or three based on where I would spend my time in the classroom. I printed this out and it just worked fine. 
But if you want a little more guidance, our new digital seating tool is set up to help walk you through all of the steps that we're talking about here. So each of the seating arrangements has a bunch of little ones, twos, and threes already made, and they're just ready to label each of the seats in any of the arrangements that you choose. Hey there, teacher friend. Do you have a question or concern that could use a teacher-proof solution? We'd love to help you out by answering your question here on the podcast. You can submit your questions to hello at secondstorywindow.net and put podcast question in your subject line. Can't wait to hear what's on your mind. Once you have your seating arrangement figured out, it's time to make seating assignments. In order to do that, you need to know which of your kids is a one, two, or three. Your three students can sit anywhere, probably next to anyone, and be successful. And hopefully you have a large group of three-level students in your class. But probably not, right? (laughs) Two-level students are the kids that are mostly on task, mostly do what they're supposed to, but might need a few reminders to get their work done and not distract their neighbors. And you can probably guess what a one-level student (laughs) is at this point. (laughs) I'm sure you can. The ones are your boundary pushers, the 20% of the kids causing 80% of the problems. They might not be the ones openly causing problems. They might be the ones who get lost daydreaming or need a lot of support. Any student that you need to stay on top of for whatever reason is marked as a level one. And that also means any student who has an IEP accommodation or a health concern that needs monitoring, they also need to be a one. It's not that ranking a student as a one is a punishment. It's just another tool to help me effectively meet their needs. But once I rank my students, I do keep this list top secret. Ranking your students isn't wrong. It's just that this is sensitive information and you do not want it lying around for a sub to see or for the other kids to come across. Yeah, can you imagine the fire that would rain down if that ranking somehow got out to parents? You definitely want to avoid that. Yes, absolutely, especially because it's not clear what the ranking means so they could really misinterpret what you're actually doing. So once you know each student's ranking, you need a way to assign them to their seats. I used post-it notes for years. I used two colors, one for girls and one for boys, and added each student's name, and then a one, two, or three ranking. And then I could arrange them on my paper with the boxes. The different colors helped me balance the makeup of each table. If you want to do this digitally with our seating arrangement tool, we have four colors of name cards that you can choose from. You might just want to use one color, or you might want to use all four for different things. And then once you create a card for each student, you can paste it onto any seeing arrangement you want to try. The nice thing about this is you only have to do it once, and then all your names are ready for any seating arrangement you need to make all year. The numbers on the name cards are helpful so that you can easily match students with the seat that will best support their learning and their behavior. I start by seating any students who need accommodations or have physical concerns to factor in. And then I put the rest of my one students into those one seats. The two students come next. They can sit in any two seat or an empty one seat. And then we have our threes. They can sit in any empty seat. The kids at the three desks will probably spend less time in the green zone or are a buffer separating a one desk from a two desk. I try to make sure that every table had a mix of ones, twos, and threes. The front and center tables might have two ones, a two, and two threes. 
a table in the back corner might have one one, two twos, and two threes. I'm aiming for a mix here, not a complete balance. For a few days, it may feel like you have struck seating track gold with this new arrangement, but keep in mind our third secret of seating success is what works for your class will likely change as your kids change. Maybe you're a teacher who loves to rearrange seating, so you do it frequently. But I did not enjoy moving seats, so I stretched each seating arrangement for as long as I could and honestly probably longer than I should have sometimes. Oh, same. <laughs> but I knew it was time to shake things up when the kids that used to work great together were arguing all the time or the kids that have been getting their work done were staring out the window a lot. <laughs> when a few kids are causing issues, it's likely time to rearrange desks. A shakeup gives everyone a fresh start. But if the behavior problems are widespread and constant, you likely need a whole new seating arrangement, not just new seating assignments. And that's a good difference to recognize. If you've got a few behavior hotspots, you can probably get by with rearranging desks and giving new neighbors to everyone. If you've got constant behavior issues, your seating arrangement is not working for you and you need an arrangement that provides more structure. So if chatting has become a problem in your class, you want to look for an arrangement that keeps kids more separated than they can be at tables. If distraction has become a problem, you want an arrangement that keeps most of the kids facing the front of the room. It's also likely that your students' rankings will change during the year. Best case scenario is that your ones and twos will suddenly become responsible threes. <laughs> but I'm not sure if any teacher is that lucky. So as the year goes on, you'll see different sides to your students and the kids that seem so quiet in September might be your chattiest chatters in March. Before you create any new seating arrangements, make sure you update your students' rankings if necessary. The first time you make your seating assignment is actually the easiest because you can mostly just match students with their number desk. It does get trickier though when it's time to rearrange seats. Yeah, you definitely want to be sure that any seating arrangement does not become a punishment. The ones deserve the experience of a new seat, but there's only so many places they could go and still be successful. You can't put your twos in a spot where they escalate to a one. And then you rely on your threes as buffers, but it's not fair for them to always be sitting next to challenging people. It does take some work and some serious thought to account for everyone's needs. But let's say your class is really chatty and you need to rearrange seats once a month. Spending 30 minutes of planning each month to really dive into your seating chart is still less work than spending countless minutes every single day managing behaviors that could be eliminated by a thoughtful seating assignment. And who doesn't want better results with minimal effort? The time and energy that goes into classroom management comes out of classroom instruction. So anything we can do to make management as effortless as possible will have a huge benefit for our students. So talk about a return on investment. So as you're planning your seating arrangements this year, remember our three secrets for success. One, your priorities for your class determine the effectiveness of a seating arrangement. Two, proximity to the teacher is the number one way to keep kids on task. And three, what works for your class will likely change as your kids change. And if you want a step-by-step -step guide on how to create strategic seating assignments for your students, make sure to check out our new digital seating arrangement planning tool, and we will link to that in the show notes. <laughs> 
We would love to hear your thoughts and your tips and tricks on seating arrangements. Come join the conversation in our Teacher Approved Facebook group. Now let's talk about this week's Teacher Approved Tip. Each week we leave you with a small actionable tip that you can apply in your classroom today. This week's Teacher Approved Tip is label your seating assignments with adhesive nameplate sleeves. So I was someone who liked to use clear contact paper to stick nameplates on my desks. It really held up pretty well over the year and it came off easily at the end of the year, which was important because my custodian was a bit surly. (laughs) But that meant that each kid had to have the same desk all year. And when it was time to rearrange desks, it was a bit of a bumper car situation with desks sliding all over the room. A way to get around that is to use clear nameplate sleeves. With sleeves, the students' nameplates can just slide in and out, and you can just rearrange students instead of rearranging every single desk. And since my students weren't storing belongings in their desks anyway, it was really a big headache of shuffling desks around when we could have just moved nameplates. That's so true. Nameplate sleeves are also really helpful if your students sit at tables instead of desks. It makes rearranging seats so much quicker and easier. And anything that makes it easier to rearrange seats is definitely a win. So give nameplate sleeves a try, and we'll make sure to link to some nameplate sleeves in the show notes so you can check out what we mean. To wrap up the show, we're sharing what we're giving extra credit to this week. Emily, what gets your extra credit? I'm giving extra credit to the disposable face towels from Clean Skin Club. So for a long time, I used makeup eraser cloths for washing my face, but I always worried that they weren't truly clean, even when they had just come out of the wash. So when I discovered these disposable cloths, I had to give them a try. They're like really thick, lightly textured paper towels that come folded in a box, and you can use them anytime you wash your face. And I really do think they have helped with my acne. And also, they just make the face washing experience so much nicer. Oh, that's a good idea. What are you giving extra credit to? Well, my extra credit goes to Wonder Belly and Acids. (laughs) They are pricier than Tums, but honestly, they're so much more enjoyable to chomp down on. They are way less chalky, and they do the trick, which is what you want. So my favorite is the lemon-flavored ones, but I think I've tried all of the flavors, and they are all pretty good. So if you have heartburn, you might want to check these out. And you can get them online, but I think they sell them at Target now, I think I've seen that, yeah. That's it for today's episode. Remember to use the three secrets for seating arrangement success, and don't forget our teacher-approved tip to use adhesive nameplate sleeves. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Teacher Approved. I'm Heidi. And I'm Emily. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. You can connect with us and other teachers in the Teacher Approved Facebook group. We'll see you here next week. Bye for now. Bye.